Okay guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Genesis. Now the last time we were here in chapter 29, we basically saw where Jacob had come into the land of Haran to his uncle's Laban's house. But the whole idea was Jacob was fleeing from the anger of his brother and also going there through the blessings of Isaac, his father, in order to acquire a wife. So he arrived in the land, he met the shepherds there, and the shepherds let him know that even at that time, Rachel, the daughter of Laban, was coming to that particular place in Haran where Jacob had arrived at the well. Jacob introduced himself to Rachel and told her that he was his kinsman. And so Rachel took Jacob back home to her father Laban and introduced him to her father. Laban received Jacob into his household after Jacob identified himself, told him about, about his travels there, and Laban received him. And so Jacob began to stay at Laban's house. Now he was staying there in his uncle's house, Laban, for about a month. And so Laban came unto Jacob and, and asked Jacob, said, what do you want me to give you for a wage? Why? Because it's not proper. It's not right for you to work for me for nothing. Since you are my kinsman, why should you work for free? And so Jacob understanding and realizing that this is now a good time for him to uh, work on the purpose of his coming there. So Jacob says to Laban, I'll work seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Again, we want to remember that when Jacob came to Laban's house, when he came into Haran, he came there empty handed. So therefore he had no bridal gift or bridal price to pay. So he offered labor for to Laban instead for a bridal gift for Rachel, his younger daughter. And so we know that Laban agreed to this. And so for seven years, Jacob worked until it was time for him to marry Rachel. We know that on the night of his, on the, the day that his wife was supposed to be given to him during the festivities, the marriage festivities, Laban, his father-in-law at this time, tricked him. And instead of giving him Rachel to wife, he gave Leah that night. And so this caused a, somewhat of a dispute between uh, Laban and Jacob. And Jacob chided him and told him, you broke the agreement. I worked for you for Rachel and you now have deceived me. And so we see a point here. The deceiver was now deceived. And so therefore Laban said, I tell you what, let's go into another contract and I'll give you Rachel. Just finish the marriage week. And so we saw all of that taking place. And then finally he was given Rachel. He now has two wives, two sisters, both Leah as well as Rachel. And there quite naturally begins to uh, uh, come about a sense of envy between the two sisters. Remember, it was Rachel who was said was both beautiful of form and appearance, but Leah was considered to be an unattractive woman. And so because Rachel was the wife of his desire, Jacob physically, I would even say naturally, moved towards his affections towards Rachel. But at the same time, he began to neglect Leah, or as the scripture says, Leah was unloved. And so God took, he looked upon Leah's state. He looked upon her marital state, how that her husband loved her sister 
more than he loved her. And so God gave favor to Leah and he opened up Leah's womb. And we saw that it was the same God, our God, who closed the womb of Rachel. That is, she was barren. And when we say we closed her womb, he closed her womb. It simply means that God did not grant unto her children. But on the other hand, he did grant unto Leah children. Okay. And we saw four sons given to Leah. There was a son of Reuben, uh, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. And in all of these sons, we could see an indication of Leah's relationship or faith in God, faith in Yahweh. All right. But now we get ready to enter into chapter 30, where we're going to get into a race with the bearing of children. So let the, let the races begin as we bear children and we're going to see something else. And I'm going to slow it down just a little bit, even though I understand that chapter 30 is pretty lengthy, but I still want to slow it down a little bit because as we open up the chapter 30, there will be a sense of contrast, a sense of contrast in Leah and Rachel. But I'm not going to talk about that here in our intro, we're going to deal with that as we get into chapter 30, which we're about to do right now. All right. 30 and one. Now, when Rachel saw that she bore that she bore Jacob, no children, she became jealous of her sister. And she said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. Then Jacob's anger burned against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? She said, here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her that she may bear on my knees that through her, I too may have children. So she gave him her maid, gave her maid Bilhah as wife and Jacob went into her. Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me and has indeed heard my voice and has given me a son. Therefore, she named him Dan. Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. So Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and I have indeed prevailed. And she named him Naphtali. Okay, so let's talk about that. So now we remember the last time we left off in chapter 29, we saw the fruitfulness of Leah. And that happened very quickly to give Jacob four sons. And remember, the bearing of children was considered to be a blessing from God. And in these children, and we see this reflected in the names of these children, we can see the hope of Leah that her husband Jacob would become more fond of her, would begin to love her and things of that nature. And we become more attached to her. All of these things we saw in the names of Leah's sons. Okay. So we saw that. But another thing that we saw in these sons, as I was stating to you guys earlier, was when she did give names to these sons, we would often see references being given to God. And when I say to God, we saw the covenant name of God, Yahweh, that is all caps, L-O-R-D. Remember, when you see all L-O-R-D in all caps, Lord that is when the Bible, that is when we translate in the English, we are trying to let you see that the proper covenant name of God is being used. Some call it Jehovah. Some call it 
Yahweh, some pronounce it Yahweh, but nevertheless, it is still the same. Yahweh, Yod, Hey, Wow, Hey. That's what it is in Hebrew, okay? And when we see Leah using this name of God, the covenant name of God is always an indication, almost in every occasion, when it deals contextually with the individual or the circumstance. It is bringing about the idea that such a one is in a relationship, a proper relationship, a covenant relationship with God. And that's what I want you guys to see in chapter 29 in the naming of Leah, Leah's naming of our sons. It is a reflection of Leah's devotion, relationship and fellowship with the God of Jacob. And that's important to see. And I don't want to put a lot of time into this. And I guess, I guess I say that all the time, but it is important to see this as Jacob is in the household of Laban, who is Laban father of Leah and Rachel, Jacob's wives. But Jacob is in the house of Laban, the Syrian. And even though these are relatives of Jacob, that is Rebecca's brother. Okay. Jacob's uncle, even though they're his relatives, Laban is still an idolater. We'll see that later on when he claims that he comes looking for his teraphims. And these teraphims were nothing more than small little household gods, idol gods. So Laban was an idol worshiper. We'll even see that later on in this text too, that Laban did not know the covenant God, Yahweh, the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the true God. He was an idol worshiper. Okay. So Jacob's wives and his father-in-law, no doubt the idea is idol worshipers. But what we see in Leah is a movement. Leah begins to acknowledge and come into fellowship. The same cannot be explicitly, and I say explicitly said with Rachel, there is much to be needed. There's much needed as far as that relationship that Rachel should have with the true God. So with that understanding, now let us go into the text. So Rachel saw that she was not able to bear children. And so notice when she could not have children, she went to Jacob and said to Jacob, hey, we can see the, 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 the exasperation she can have, all oh, the drama, oh, give me children or I'm just going to die. Because remember now, these, these are the ancient times children are considered to be a blessing. The greater the number of children, the greater the blessing is. The, the greater is almost like the statue of the woman is because God has blessed her with so many children. Leah already has four. Rachel has none at this time. She goes to Jacob telling him to give her children. Jacob responds with anger and simply says, am I God? In other words, it's a known thing that it's God who gives children, God who opens the womb and God is the one who blesses with the children. Okay. And so in that thing, Jacob is angered at Rachel because Rachel, here's my point. Instead of Rachel going to God, you can understand her complaining to Jacob, her husband, that I'm barren and I don't have children. But notice, remember the reflection, first Samuel chapter one, remember Hannah, 
Remember that Hannah? She also had her, uh, 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 what was his name? Elkanah. I think that was his name. Her husband, Elkanah was her husband. And there was also, what was it? Uh, the other one, Penina. I think that was the other, her sister wife. Okay. I don't think they were sisters, but that was the other wife of Elkanah. He had two wives and Penina was able, and I hope I'm giving the name correctly, but she was able to have children when Hannah could not. But what was the action? How did, what did Hannah do when she could not have children, when she was barren? She was not just simply greed, but she went to the tent of testimony. She went to where the tabernacle was set up. And I believe it was in Shiloh at this time. She went to the tab tabernacle of Shiloh and there she prayed to the Lord. She prayed to the Lord. But notice the dif difference that we see here with Rachel. Rachel desired children. She went to Jacob and complained. And when Jacob rebuked her, notice what she did. She devised a plan. She took her maidservant. Remember the ones, these were the servant women to whom uh, her father had given her. Remember, uh, Bilhah was the servant that Laban gave to Rachel as a wedding gift. And Zilpah was the servant that Laban gave to Leah as a wedding gift. So Rachel concocted a plan. Now we see the similarity in which Abraham and Sarah, but predominantly, mostly it was Sarah who concocted the plan to take into her maidservant to bear children. Remember, this was an act of faithlessness. It showed how Sarah was not acting in faith. And also because Abraham participated, we, all, we also can see his faithlessness too. But the point is here with Rachel, Jacob just told her, isn't it God that does these things? But what did Rachel do? She did not turn to God. She began to devise a plan, scheme a plan of her own mind. Okay. And so she took her maidservant, Bilhah, gave him to Jacob as wife. And there they produced a child. And then also in the names of the children, we can see also as it, as it was with the names of Leah, we see the naming of the children also with Rachel, the names have particular meanings. And so she said, as she, with that child, okay, let me slow it down a little bit. The bearing upon my knees is just simply the language of adoption. That's all she's doing. Using the language of adoption that when Bilhah has children, Rachel will adopt those children as her own children and those children will become seed for her. OK, so it's simply the language of adoption. So when she did have this son, she named him Dan, Dan, which means judge, judge. But the idea is, she said, for God has judged. God has vindicated me now. Even though she uses the name God, you cannot help but notice the difference in when Leah named her children. And that was the point that I was trying to make to you guys earlier. Remember when Leah named her children, she would say, and Yahweh, she used the covenant name of God. Covenant indicating what? Such a one, Leah, has a relationship is in fellowship with God. But notice when Rachel begins to name her children, she says, God, she does not use the covenant name of God, Yahweh. 
To me, that's a big red flag. That is an, it is a subliminal indication that Rachel either does not know the true God or is simply acting in great faithlessness. There is much to be desired in the character of Rachel. And almost in the sense to say, doesn't seem like Rachel is saved. Remember, in order to be saved, you're simply to have at this time, faith in the covenant God, Yahweh. I believe that Yahweh is God. Such a one is saved. This is indicated again in Leah. It is not so much indicated in Rachel because you can use God as we see even in Genesis chapter one. And I don't have time. Oh, Lord God, guys, I don't have time to go into all of that. But to say God simply means the great one, the supreme one, the self-existent one. It does not necessarily indicate you have a relationship or knowledge of the true God. And that's what I want to say here about Rachel. But the point I was simply saying was to even further that point, And I know we're not there yet, but I'm trying to make my case to even further that point. We're going to see when Jacob escapes from the household of Laban, Rachel would take one, the teraphim. Now, a lot of people have different reasons. I'll talk about those reasons when I get there. But Rachel is going to take the Laban's, her father's household idol. Now, why does she have an idol God? But we'll discuss all of those things. My whole point is there is much to be desired in Rachel's character and to, to clear up the idea. Is Rachel saved? Does she really have in fellowship with the true and living God. And remember the true and living God is the God of Jacob, the God of Jacob. And don't lose sight as you work through these texts that everybody that everybody don't do not think everybody is believing in the same God. That's not true. Laban's gods are different than Jacob's God. Even though Laban will have a knowledge of Jacob's God. We'll talk about all of those things, but I've been too long in that, but I hope you guys really understood the point that I'm trying to make, especially when we see Rachel naming of her children here at this point, the children that she's having through the, the maid servants. And then we'll find out later on that the one child that she will have in this chapter, Joseph, but let's continue. Verse, verse number. Uh, okay. Let me deal about the second son before I continue on. So the first son, Dan, she talks about her vindication, okay? And she says, God has vindicated me, judged me. Then the, the maidservant has a second son, and she calls him Naphtali, which means to wrestle, wrestling with. And so notice she said she was being, the point is she was wrestling with her sister, and she has prevailed. Now, again, I don't want to put a lot of emphasis in this, but notice she wrestled with her sister, and indeed I have prevailed. There is a godlessness in that statement. She's not attributing the son so much as to God. It, it doesn't appear that way. You got it. It's, it seems to come at you more like I have won and not so much as God had given me victory. God has done this for me, but even more so the Lord has done this. The Lord indicating her covenant relationship her personal faith 
with God. It's not saying she's simply saying I did it and raise her hands up in victory. And at least it excludes God. And that seems to be the tenor of the text. So again, not trying to rehash it again and again and again, but it is undeniable. Something's not right with Rachel here. Something is just not right with Rachel and God. And here's the whole thing here. Remember the time to, and I guess I might as well shoot it, shoot it in here. I'm trying not to make the video as long guys. When, uh, Jacob's father, Isaac, when his wife, Rebecca could not have children, what did Isaac do? Isaac went and prayed unto the Lord. But in this scenario, you don't see anybody praying to God, neither Jacob, nor do we see Rachel. Most definitely it should be Rachel praying unto the Lord, right? We can understand since I'm here. Okay, fine. We can understand why Jacob is not so much going to the Lord in prayer here. And we can understand why Isaac did go to the Lord. That is when Rebecca, Isaac and Rebecca, okay. Over against Jacob and Rachel. When Rebecca, Isaac's wife couldn't have children, Isaac went and prayed. When um, Rachel couldn't have children, neither one of them prayed. Why did Isaac go and pray unto the Lord? Because Isaac had no seed at all. So when Rebecca could not uh, get a child by God, Isaac remembered the promise, the what promise? The Abrahamic promise, the promise that he would have a seed. And so therefore it was of great concern to Isaac to get a child. And so he prayed to God and God opened up the womb of his wife. But with regard to Rachel, Rachel herself did not pray, neither Jacob prayed, but Jacob didn't have to pray. Why? He already had four sons at this time. So there was no great thing about the seed. Jacob was already being given seed by God. Even we know the promised seed who would be through Judah, but nevertheless. So that's why we see uh, no prayer by Jacob here. The fault lies predominantly on Rachel. She didn't seek God for uh, a child when she should have. Okay, guys, I've been too long in that. So that was the last baby, the two children that we just saw through Rachel's servant, Bilhah, verse number nine. When Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took her maid Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, how fortunate. So she named him Gad. Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, happy am I for women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. Now in the, okay, let's stop there. So the, the contest is, is, in, is, is in high gear now. Leah has seen what Rachel has done. She said, okay, I'm not having any children, any more children. Remember the last child she had was Judah, okay? And so then she said, well, and I'm, she's looking at Rachel, her sister, now producing babies through her maid servant. And so Leah says, I'm gonna do the same thing too. I'm, so the race has begun. So she gives her servant Zilpah and Zilpah has a, has a child. And so she calls him fortunate for that is the name. She says, Gad, that's the name Gad. So she says, this is fortunate. Then she has a second child and she says, calls him happy, which is the meaning of the name Asha. And she says, I am not women going to call me happy. Why? Because I have all of these children. Now, something that I do want you to see even here concerning Leah, the race here is, is a little fleshy. Why? 
Remember, it was the habit of Leah. When Leah would have children, she would invoke or have a reference to the name of God in some way to, 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 to invoke the covenant name of God, reflecting her relationship. The reason why I say it has become fleshy is there may be down way underneath an implication of God. And I do believe that is the case, especially with Leah, but there is not an overt indication of God in the naming of these sons. And so therefore her actions become a little of the flesh. You got it. That's that. That's why we see this race that's going on when things are of the flesh. Uh, and when I say of the flesh of our sinful nature and not simply because that which moves us to glorify God, it, 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 when it's of the sinful nature, it does have a different shade. And that's the shade that I'm trying to indicate to you that we now see in the difference of how Leah is naming her children. And notice what the point is. There is not that overt, that clear association with God. And that's the point I'm trying to make. So this race is fleshy. It's not a good thing to do, but nevertheless, it is what they did. And in, in all of these things, even though they, these two women are acting in the flesh at this time, even though they're acting in this flesh, God is still working out his purposes. He is making Jacob fruitful. He's filling the, fulfilling the promises of Abraham. Anyway, so now let's continue. Verse 14. Now in the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter for you to take my husband? And would you take my son's mandrakes also? So Rachel said, therefore, he may lie with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came in from the field in the evening, then Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come in to me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. God gave heed to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have, because I gave my maid to my husband. So she named him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore a sixth son to Jacob. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a gift, a good gift. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulon. Afterward, she bore a daughter and named her Dinah. Let's stop there. Okay, so now we have an incident. And the incident starts with Leah's eldest son, Reuben, coming from the field that day with mandrakes. And now that word mandrakes is that Hebrew word daduim, daduim, which we would literally translate passion fruit, passion fruit. So he comes with passion fruit and Rachel takes notice of this passion fruit that uh, Reuben has and Reuben is bringing it to his mother Leah. And so Rachel makes the request for the fruit. She says, give it to me. And so Leah responds, 
You've already gotten my husband. So now do you want my son's mandrakes? And that's the passion fruit, Dadoim. Do you want the mandrakes as well? But so let me tell you the problem here. The problem here. Let me, I tell you, let me finish it. So she contracts, that is, she sells. She, you can have the mandrakes. And, but in return for my son's mandrakes, Jacob has to sleep with me tonight. All right. So now let me simply stop there. There are so many points that we need to make. The mandrake fruit with respect to Rachel, she sees the passion fruit. The idea is, it, the idea is it was believed to eat of this would make a person sexually virulent. So she would conceive a child. Rachel believed if she ate of the Dadoim, of the mandrakes, she then, when Jacob would come into her, she would conceive a child. Once again, this moves me even so much more in passion. Rachel is doing everything except going to God. Remember when the story starts off, when she went to Jacob in the first place, give me children or else I die. Jacob got angry and said, am I God who opens the womb? Don't you realize by now it is God who will open the womb and give you children. Now, Rachel has seen Leah have four children. She has seen her maidservant Bilhah has two children. She has seen Zilpah, the maidservant of Leah, has two children. She has seen eight children born and not a single one has come to her. And, and she knows it's God, but still Rachel herself has not turned to God. Notice again, her first scheme was to give her maidservant. Her second scheme is now to use these passion fruits to stir up a, a, a virility for herself that she can conceive a child to do everything except turn to God, turn to Yahweh, the God of Jacob and say, please give me a child. Again, this is evidence of my great suspicion of Rachel's relationship with God. Remember again that I told you about later on, you're going to see her take the household idols. Okay. I, I'm, I'm having a problem in thinking that Rachel has a true genuine relationship with God. If she does, it is weak at best. It is a bad relationship. So, but let me go on with the story. God, I'm going to start preaching. So what happens? So Jacob comes home from the field that day. Leah meets him and tells him, uh-uh, I see you are headed for Rachel's tents as usual. That's the idea. You headed there as usual, as you always go, but no, sir, I have hired you. And that's how the, the name comes into play. I have hired you this night with my son's mandrakes, and you're going to come and sleep with me tonight in my tent. And so God looked upon Leah. God again has mercy on Leah, recognizing that's the idea that you can see, recognizing Leah's, uh, how Jacob has treated Leah. She is not the favorite wife and Leah's relationship with God. God shows favor to her once again, opens her womb and gives her another son whom she names Issachar, which comes from the very root of everything done, hired as as Jacob is hired with the mandrakes that Leah gave unto Rachel, that that's what she names the son 
hired, okay, as an indication of that event. And then God opens up Leah's womb again. She is even fruitful once again, and she bears to him a sixth son. And then she calls this sixth, she says in the sixth son, my husband will now dwell with me. It comes from that Hebrew Zaval. That's that root word that is being used. Some think that it, it also has a sense of honor. And some translated, I believe it's in the NIV, with the translation, my husband will now honor me because I have honored him with a sixth son. But the idea more so begins to be my husband will dwell with me. And that's the translation we see in the NASB, the text that we always use. Okay. And the reason why is it is a reflection. Once again, we saw that early in chapter 29, how as Leah was producing children, she, especially sons, she was hoping that in giving him all of these sons, Jacob would love her and be with her as a husband should be with a wife. And so she names this last one Zebulon, Zebulon, which means he will dwell with me. That is Jacob would now begin to dwell with me as a husband and not just be with my sister Rachel so much. Okay. And so finally Leah has a daughter by the name of Dinah. We see that in verse number 21. And so in the name of Dinah, we see the reflection as one that causes to contend or to quarrel with. So again, we see that idea of her, I don't want to use the term wrestle, Neftali, <laughs> wrestling with her, with her sister for the love and affection of her husband. But nevertheless, that is in the name. But we also see a daughter being given to Leah. Now, let me make another point concerning Dinah. Even though she is the only daughter mentioned by name of Jacob, Dinah is not the only daughter of Jacob. I think we'll see that in chapter 37 and maybe chapter 41. I don't want to be unclear about that, but I do believe it's coming up in those chapters when it says it talks about the daughters, plural of Jacob. So Jacob had more than one daughter, but here Dinah is mentioned specifically because she will have a play later on in scripture. A whole, uh, uh, we're going to have a big mess in the land of Shechem. And I don't want to be premature in that. That's going to be related to Dinah as she goes to look upon the daughters in the land of Canaan. But we're not there. We're not going to make that discussion. But that's the daughter. So now Leah has been very fruitful. OK, she's given him six sons of her own womb, one daughter of her own womb and two sons by virtue of adoption. And all of this time. Rachel in all of her connivings has not been able to be, to be given a son from God and notice she has not sought God. It's not even said in the text whatsoever. Okay. But God in his tender mercies, God in his grace will look upon the affliction, the barrenness of Rachel and God will be merciful to her. And remember the very concept idea of mercy is to be good to whom God is not due to be good to. He doesn't owe her anything. Right? Remember what we said about Rachel, but anyway, so let's move on with the text. 22. Then God remembered Rachel and God gave heed to her and opened her womb. So she conceived and bore a son 
and said, God has taken away my reproach. She named him Joseph saying, may the Lord give me another son. Now watch this text. It is a beautiful picture. Notice, okay, God remembered Rachel and God gave heed to her. In order to give heed to her, Rachel has to be petitioning God. Now we see Rachel is learning her lesson. She has looked back over what has been going on and she has noticed, she has determined God is the one who has been blessing these women. And now we see Rachel praying to God. God gave heed to her. She prayed. And when she prayed, God responded. Okay. So is, is Rachel coming into some sort of a, a, a covenant relationship? She already has one. We don't know, but all we can say is at the moment it is looking a little better. And so God now blesses her with a son and her first son will be Joseph. And notice here, here's the point. Notice the point. She named him Joseph saying, may Yahweh, remember the Lord, L-O-R-D in all caps. Rachel for the first time uses the covenant name of God. So there is an acknowledgement of the God of Jacob, not the God of her father, Laban, but Jacob. So an indication of possibility. Rachel is in covenant relationship. It seems that's the indication indication. I can't be strong on that point, but that's indication. But the point is she is acknowledging it is the true God who has given her this son and hope and faith in that true God because she names him Yosheth, which means to add the hope in that true God that he will give her at least another son. Okay. All right. Let's continue. Now it came about when Rachel had born Joseph, that Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place, to my own country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me depart for you yourself know my service, which I have rendered you. But Laban said to him, if now it pleases you stay with me, I have divined that the Lord has blessed me on your account. He continued, Name me your wages and I will give it. But he said to him, you yourself know how I have served you and how your cattle have fared with me. For you had little before I came and it has increased to a multitude and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? So he said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you should not give me anything. If you would do this one thing for me, I will again pasture and keep your flock. Okay. Now let me stop right here because this whole narrative continues for the most part to the end of the chapter. But there are certain key points that I do want to make, but I don't want to spend a lot of time in it because I made, I've spent so much time already. All right. So now Jacob is now married, Rachel, Leah, he got his four uh, concubines, two concubines as well, Bilhah and Zilpah, okay? He has now had the child through Rachel. The time has ended. The 14 years has ended. Remember, seven years was first before to be for Rachel, but he was deceived 
and was given Laban. Another contract was made. An additional seven years will be given now for Rachel. That 14 years has expired. It's finished. He now goes to Laban and tells him, okay, because Laban is the head of the household. So he seeks to leave in good terms with Laban's permissions. Give me my daughters. Let me go in peace and let me make a life for myself, make a life for my family, you know, because he has been working for Laban and Laban's wealth has been increased. Okay. But before I get into all of that, what does he begin to do? He tells him, you know, the service that I have served you. In other words, you know that I have served you well, but not only have I served you well, I have served you and you have become prosperous. He's going to talk about that later on. But what I want to do is this. When he does go, I'm in verse number 27. When he goes to Laban with request to leave with Laban's blessing. Okay. And Laban begins to think because Laban here is wealthy at this time. Okay. He has become wealthier, much wealthier at this time. When we see Laban, Laban in verse number 27 makes this statement. I have divined that the Lord has blessed me on your account. Man, I feel like screaming and preaching this. Okay. So let me just simply say it. I'm going to try to be as succinct as I can, guys. Laban says, I have divined that the Lord has blessed me on your account. He recognizes that it is because of the God of Jacob. Uh, and notice he uses the proper name, the covenant name of God, that Yahweh has blessed me on your account. This is not to say that Laban is a believer, for he is not. Laban is not in fellowship with Jacob's God. He is not. But he is aware of Jacob's God. Laban is an idolater, but he does know of Jacob's God, which was the whole purpose of God calling Abraham and his descendants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, so that the world may come into the knowledge of the true God. Okay. So that the world in his idolatry can come into the knowledge of the true God and in coming in, into the knowledge of the true God, the world, the hope is to turn to God and worship. But this is the problem that we're seeing here. And also too, let me make a notation here. Please pay attention, guys. This is one of the reasons why God blessed the patriarchs and God blessed the children of Israel so that in their blessings, it garners, it gets the attention of the world, of the Gentile world. And as the, the Gentile world sees the blessings of this peculiar people, the Jewish people, they will understand these blessings come to the Jewish people because of their God. And so you would say, well, who is their God? Because I want to be blessed by their God. And here's the whole point. If you're going to be blessed by their God, Yahweh, you need to turn to their God, Yahweh. But this is the problem that we are seeing with Laban. He has the knowledge of the true God, Yahweh, that knowledge that is given through Jacob. He himself is experiencing the blessings of that true God 
through Jacob. Why? Remember the Abrahamic covenant comes to, to, to uh, Abraham. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who's cursing you. So we see him being blessed through Jacob. Laban realizes this, but he does not turn to the God of Jacob. He wants the blessings of the God of Jacob, but he doesn't want a relationship with the God of Jacob because here's what I want to take to a root here. He says, I have divined, I have divined. Now that comes from that root word that we see is the same word. We were at Nahas, Nahas, Nahas. I have divined verse number 27. I want to look up that root word uh, to get it dead on the money. He comes from the same root word that is used for serpent. This is the same word that is used in Genesis chapter three when it talks about now the serpent was more subtle. Okay, the serpent. So when he says he has divine, that means he has used some idolatrous method of trying to gain insight. He has inquired through some idolatrous method. He did not inquire from the Lord, the living God. He inquired. And so that he got some sort of an answer, some sort of a revelation or, or some sort of a realization that it was Jacob's God, Yahweh, who was blessing him. But my whole point is this, knowing that it was Jacob's God, he did not consult Jacob's God which simply lets us know he was not a believer in Jacob's God. Laban simply wanted the blessings and it guys, I feel like preaching. Maybe, maybe that's the problem with me today. I got a preaching spirit on me, but that's the problem that people have. Now people want the so-called and they often misinterpret that, especially from the old Testament covenant law, things of that nature, which don't even apply to us today. But nevertheless, people want the blessings of God, but they don't want to have a real relationship with God. And that's the problem we see here with Laban. Okay. But nevertheless, moving on with the text, he realizes he's been blessed in all of his cattle and things of this nature. Laban has because of Jacob. And so he wants Jacob to stay with him. And so he enters into a negotiation for a wage with Jacob. And so that's what we're about to get into now for a wage. Okay. Now, bottom line, Jacob is a shepherd and Laban's basic wealth is in his flock. And so that's how Jacob is going to negotiate a wage. I'm going to work with you for certain flock. This is going to be my wage because Jacob, remember his concern was I need to provide for my own family. And so Jacob wanted to go back home. Laban wanted to keep Jacob with him so that Laban would continue to increase in wealth. Okay. And Laban is a crook and we don't want to forget how, remember we told you earlier how God will use Laban's deceitfulness, his evilness, to train and discipline Jacob so that Jacob would learn. This is not how you are blessed, how you should be, how you should get ahead. That God's people should be people of integrity. God would transform Jacob's character through how Laban mistreated Jacob. Okay. But anyway, so let's go on through the text. So he's going to try to make an agreement for a salary. Uh, 
I stopped at what? Verse number 31, 32. Let me pass through your entire flock today, removing from there every speckled and spotted sheep and every black one among the lambs and the spotted among the ghosts and such shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come concerning my wages, everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me will be considered stolen. Laban said, good, let it be according to your word. So he removed on that day, the striped and spotted male goats and all the speckled and spotted female goats, everyone with white in it and all the black ones among the sheep and gave them into the care of his sons. And he put a distance of three days journey between himself and Jacob and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. Then Jacob, he fed the, okay, let me just talk about that. Verses 31, 35. So here's the agreement. Okay. Here's what we first need to understand. Basically, sheeps are basically in general, white goats are basically black in general, black. As far as the sheep and the goats, if there were any sheep or goats with speckles, spots, stripes in them, let's just simply say it that way. They weren't basically white or basically black. All of those, usually the speckles and, 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 and stripes, things of that nature, sheep and goats, they are usually few in number. So it will be very few of those. Predominantly, they would be white and black. Okay. So the majority of the flock of Laban's flock would be his. Only a few out of those flocks would be speckled and stripes and things of that nature. It would just be just a few of those sheep. That would have been Jacob's salary. All right. And that's what he would have been starting out with. But Laban, the crook that he is, he went into his own flocks. He found those spotted stripes and things of that nature among the sheep and the goats, took them out, gave them to his sons and his sons went a distance of a three days journey away from Jacob, making certain Jacob cannot get his hands on those. They don't get confused. He won't get those. And he took them out and gave them to his sons. The whole purpose, purpose is this, that Jacob wouldn't get anything. So when Jacob began his job again with Laban's flock, and remember Jacob's wages, Jacob started out with nothing. Because remember, he was supposed to get the spotted and the striped ones. Laban took them out, gave them to his sons, sent them far away. He, Laban is a crook. That's what I'm trying to say. He is the crook of the crook. God is teaching Jacob some hard lessons. And Jacob is starting out with absolutely nothing in this whole scenario. Okay. And I think that's all I need to say about that. Verse number 37. Then Jacob took fresh rods of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white stripes in them, exposing the white, which was in the rods. He set the rods which he had peeled in front of the flocks in the gutters, even in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink and they made it when they came to drink. So the flocks made it by the rods and the flocks brought forth striped, speckled and spotted. Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the stripe and all the black in the flock of the Le in the flock of Laban. And he put his own herds apart and he did not put them with Laban's flock. 
Moreover, whenever the stronger of the flock were mating, Jacob would place the rods in the sight of the flock in the gutters. So they might, so they might mate by the rods. But when the flock was feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger were Jacob's. So the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. All right. So now we end with Jacob's response to his father-in-law's treachery the treachery of removing those spotted ones. All right. So because Laban is a crook, he took him away. So what did Jacob do? So remember all of the flock of Laban, basically white and black, the sheep and the goat. Jacob took a, a stick. It called a rod, a poplar rod. And he cut the rod. He cut stripes into the rod and he put them into the watering trough so that when the sheep would come to drink, the sheep, the goats would come to drink. And when they would mate the, the rod that was in the trough, the watering trough, they would mate in front of that rod. And when they would mate, the children of those solid colored sheep or goats would come out speckled or striped. And remember, it's the speckled or striped that would belong to Jacob. So that would be Jacob's wage. And so what Jacob would do is when the strong, robust sheep or goat would come out, he'll put the rod there so that when they would mate, the children come out speckled and spotted, they'll be Jacob's and they would be really good sheep or good goats. Okay. But when the weak ones would come out, Jacob wouldn't put the rod in front of Laban's weak uh, white or black sheep to make them spot. He didn't do that because he wanted good, strong flock to come out. And that's basically what he did. All right. Now let's talk about what he did with respect to the act itself. It was a superstitious act because it was believed among you come among certain shepherds that day. It was a superstitious act of Jacob in believing that by this act, he could make the sheep come with this outcome. Okay. Of being from solid color to the speckle color. And these would be his. So Jacob thought by doing this superstitious act, he himself could make this come about in this way. We find out later on, that is the very next chapter 31. God would tell Jacob in a dream. It was not you by this superstitious act of cutting up this wood, putting it in the water so that the sheep would mate. They didn't have nothing to do with the outcome of creating speckled and spotted sheep and goat. It was me who did these things. So therefore the blessing came from God. And we can see now how God was blessing Jacob regardless to how Laban was treating him. And we are going to see even later, there will be an, an absolute reversal of fortune in where how Jacob is going to get. And we see it even now in this chapter, a huge flock. And that's the idea explosion of wealth, sheep and goat. Okay. And the, the, the herds of Laban are going to dwindle to basically nothing. So it will be a literal reversal of fortune. So remember what happened, uh, how Laban took Jacob's way away and Jacob ended up with nothing. 
In the end, Laban is going to basically end up with nothing, even though Laban is trying to use Jacob to increase his already uh, wealth that he has because of Jacob's blessing. Uh, but the point that I also want to bring to you is this. Notice the mistreatment of Jacob by Laban. Again, we see the activity of the Abrahamic covenant. I will bless those who bless you. Had Laban blessed Jacob, he himself would have been blessed and Jacob would have been blessed as well. But remember, and I will curse those who curse you. Now we're seeing how Laban is being cursed. Why? Because he is clearly continuously mistreating that one who is under the Abrahamic covenant of blessing. But before we drop here, we stop here. Let's take a look at the final verse. Jacob's wealth exploded and the man became exceedingly prosperous. That means Jacob got very wealthy, very quickly. And what did he have? Notice now, not only did God bless Jacob with large flocks, notice it, but he also gave him female and male servants. Jacob became so wealthy that he was able to buy slaves for himself. So the man who came into Haran, with number basically the shirt on his back. He is so rich now, he got more flocks than he knows what to do with. He needs help in those flocks, so he even buys male and female slaves, but not only that, just his wealth increases so much, he has camels and donkeys. So truly we can see the material blessings of the Abrahamic covenant working with Jacob. All right, guys. Thanks for joining me in that very long teaching. Now, the next time we come back in chapter 31, we're going to see now where Jacob makes his mind up finally to leave, to flee from the household of Laban and what takes place in that grand meeting when Laban catches him. All right, guys. See you next time.